Welcome to your favorite guilt-free podcast. That's right, it's the Andy Staples Show. Ari Wasserman is back. Happy National Signing Day. You may be listening to this on National Signing Day Eve, but more than likely, you're listening to it on National Signing Day. Ari, this is this is your day. This is the the Stars Matter Day. How you feeling? You know, I'm feeling pretty good. I uh, this day is always kind of just a crazy whirlwind of a bunch of transactions, and then it takes a few days for the dust to settle and to really analyze who got who and who went where and all that stuff. But you know, I think at the end of the day, you're going to be seeing the same five teams that you know we talk about incessantly on this podcast, and you know maybe a few other ones that are going to be surprising but you know i think that more so than any time you know in the last 10 years andy the craziness of the transfer portal is creating spots the craziness of the coaching carousel is creating flips and changes i would say that right now it seems things are a little bit more is turbulent the right word uh, I, uh, it's all over I the place it's a good word. um yeah more so than really it ever has been and it's usually a crazy day in its purest form so I'm super excited about it. There's a bunch of five-star prospects that, you know, are out to, you know, announce and some other top 100 players that are going to as well. You know, it's funny to me, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast, that the early signing period is when it is. I don't really understand it uh, on the calendar. It is the new national signing day. There will be some holdouts because people are going to want to, you know, take visits or think a little bit harder once coaching uh, carousel kind of slows down a little bit. But, like, this is signing day. And we're going to know about 85% of everything that we need to know about who's going to get who. And it just has always been weird to me that it's not in July. Like, why is it only two months before? I I, I can tell you why. Because they were going to put it in July or August. That was the original plan so that high schoolers could sign before their senior season started. But ADs and presidents did not want to do that because they didn't want to fire a coach with an entire class signed. And that's why they did this. And and the unintended consequences of it are you get this really compressed coaching carousel, which caused some super weird stuff this year. Super weird timing. I mean, think about this. Well, they're firing coaches always right at at the apex of when people are getting ready to sign. I feel like it almost makes people in worse. Go ahead. But it's worse positioning. It does. It does. Dan Lanning at Oregon will have been on the job like five days. When he signs his first class, like it's not fair to now, him, granted, and it's not fair to the prospects. No, no. How, how much time do you have to get to know those people? And you know, those people are probably upset because they thought they were signing with Mario Cristobal. He's at Miami. He may or may not have room for them at Miami. It, it's such a strange situation. And yes, the idea was they were going to have an early signing period before the season. But that didn't work because and, – and, and here's the thing. I think you could fire people because they, they fire basketball coaches with classes signed all the time. Or you and could just make a well, simple provision that says if you signed a letter of intent and the coach is fired seven months or less after it, you're released immediately yeah. without question. They are problem solved. They don't, they don't want to give the players any more power. Because they, they, you know, they, they a lot of it in the recruiting. Was, yeah. yeah. This whole system was stacked against the players – for the longest time. And now it's kind of flipped the other direction with the, the transfer rules changing with NIL. The players have a lot more power than they used to. And I want to ask you this, Ari. This is something I was thinking about the last few days. We talk about team rankings in recruiting all the time. But do we need to adjust how we feel about a recruiting class's ranking to include the transfers coming into that class? Because 
I'm looking at South Carolina's class right now. I believe they're ranked number 16 in the country, which is really good for, for South Carolina. But when you add Spencer Rattler and, and Austin Stogner as newcomers, that seems like it's a bit higher rated class than 16. Yeah, every single time I do a recruiting mailbag or write a story and I get a comment from somebody saying, well, does the ranking really matter? Because transfers are becoming more prevalent parts of rosters and this doesn't necessarily show you who's got the best class every year. And that makes a ton of sense. You know, I mean, it, the way that everything is shifting and the fact that transfers might go from 5% of your roster to 25% or maybe even more, dare I dream, in the next few years, that the recruiting <laughs> rankings don't really bear out the same weight that they used to. But I will always remind people of two things. One, the recruiting rankings are the best classes from high school prospects and JUCO transfers. That's all those are. If you want to know where a team stands from total talent, the team composite rankings that I always cite on this show and I read to my fiance before bed every night is that like it's all she must hate you so much. <laughs> well, she'll say stars matter, but it's all accounted for. So next year in the in the composite talent rankings, not the recruiting rankings, the composite rankings, um, South Carolina's team will reflect Spencer Rattler's five-star ranking in their total team talent. Here's the other problem with that too. We all know that recruiting rankings are imperfect, right? Every, there are a lot of right. people that will tell you that J.J. Watt will was a two-star prospect and that recruiting they're, rankings right. don't matter. They're, they're accurate in the aggregate, but inaccurate individually. Individually, correct. But when you have a transfer, I think that's an indication of more context and more understanding of who and what that player is. And thus, like Spencer Rattler will continue to have the five-star rating, but I think you could probably make the case that he's a middle-tier four-star based on the reality of what he's turned out to be. Now, maybe he can play his way into a five-star or whatever, but if you add five-star signee into the recruiting rankings, I think that becomes even more inaccurate because it's lopsided and sometimes players aren't who they are rated as, and we find that out when they get to college. So even that, I think, at times makes the team talent composite a little bit inaccurate because a five-star prospect is a five-star prospect even if they transfer after year four having never played a down at their previous school. Right. So like, I like the recruiting rankings as a pure metric of the best teams to get players who haven't played college football yet. And then how you want to rank the teams afterward, there's a metric for that. But as you said, and as I said, I think, with the recruiting or with the way of building a roster completely changing and you have the Mel Tuckers of the world fielding a team that wins 10 games in a year based off of hitting on the transfer portal repeatedly, the recruiting rankings are going to become less and less and less of an indication of which teams are going to be great. So National Signing Day in 2027 might not bear the same weight as it does on Wednesday. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you trying to suggest that at some point stars might not matter? No, no, no. Stars are always going to matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be a different way of gauging the disbursement of those stars. Because the only way that we did it in 2005 was recruiting rankings. And then maybe there was three or four right. transfers any given time. But like the question to you I have, Andy, is how what percentage of 
an Alabama roster or a Clemson roster or an Ohio State roster is going to bring transfers in. Are the best teams in America or the best programs in America still going to get 85% of their players from high school? And then all the other teams are like, who's this going to benefit and how, how far is it going to go? I think the very best teams are still going to try to build through high school because that, that's yes. still the most reliable way to build the best roster. That said, I don't. I think the cut line of where the the teams start, they're going to hit the portal pretty hard, is pretty high up there. Like it may be around number ten overall, where you start to see, and and also because of circumstances, you might see different programs now. Programs might do it because they need it. Let's say you just had a, you're, you're a good program that just had a coaching change. You lost a lot of your recruiting class because of the coaching change. You're going to hit the portal hard this year. You may not hit it hard next year, but you're going to hit it hard this year. And I think that that needs to be taken into account as well. But I do think the programs with the the you know that are typically great that have so much continuity, they're going to continue to take most of their players out of high school. Uh, we we talked to Grace Rayner on the on the podcast on Monday because she covers Clemson. Clemson has <laughs> not taken transfers under Dabo <laughs> yeah. Sweeney. I wonder what's going to happen. That's now. about to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no I'm shit. pretty sure that's going to change. Know. Let's let's talk about Clemson's class right now because Clemson has, as we speak, 13 players committed. I, I would imagine there's a couple more high schoolers that will wind up signing with them on Wednesday, but <clears> that still leaves some spots because this was a class that was going to be, I believe, 17 to 20. And they lost some commitments when Brent Venables got the the Oklahoma job. What do you think happens with that class? Yeah, well, that's the the interesting thing too is like the Dabo rules, right? Is that what they were called or are still called? Mm-hmm. Where they don't take transfers and they have the no visit policy, like they had with Corey Foreman last year, where if you commit to Clemson, you're not permitted to go visit other schools or your commitment is removed, right? All those and, and, rules. Well, well, let me let me stop you there. You know, I know what you're going to say. Also, doesn't give non-committable offers. That's the flip side of it. Unlike but all it's the other also schools. not a real rule because if Corey Foreman wanted to go to Clemson last year, they would have taken him. So removing yes, him from the correct. class or forcing him de- to, to decommit only to re-recruit him three months later is dumb. And I think that but when you go? have these hard, fa- of course not. But maybe he okay. wouldn't have if Clemson didn't rock the boat. Like don't don't say I, that you have see, a no visit I, I policy. A, and I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with the way they handle it because of the way they do offers. Because the offers actually mean something. But the way that, they handle it isn't actually how they handle it. Is what I'm trying to say. They say they don't let you visit right. other places, but they still would have taken him. A five star prospect can him. visit any. And yeah. A five star prospect can do whatever they want, and he's a take everywhere within the within right. the reasonable uh, things that a person can do within the the letter but, of the but law. If, if you were the 14th member of Clemson's class, you may not be able to pull that off. So oh, absolutely not, depending on who you who are. you are and where you are. Yeah, yeah. but the, the rule doesn't apply to a five-star prospect. The thing, too, is that the no-transfer thing, like, what was the basis of that? Is it they want Clemson people and only Clemson people? And it's just like, of course that's going to change because the sport is changing, and you can't – these rules don't – they don't apply to the long-term health of a program. And I – Got a lot of flack earlier in the year um, before the season started on this show saying that I didn't think that Clemson was going to make the playoff this year. And I've questioned in multiple pieces 
over the course of the past, you know, six to eight months, whether or not Clemson's plan is sustainable to keep up with Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State long term based on the way they're recruiting. And, you know, I didn't know that the Brent Venables thing was going to happen, but they're not in a place right now where I believe that they're going to be a perennial national championship contender for the next five years the way they had been the previous five. Unless they change something. And they're going to have to change something big, right? And maybe right now. Um, so obviously losing Brent Venables is a problem for anybody. He's one of the best uh, defensive coordinators in the country. And they lost three top 100 players in the immediate aftermath of um, his decision to go to Oklahoma, including a five-star defensive back and a four-star edge rusher and, um, you know, a safety. So like they have some spots to fill and they have going to take a 17 or 20 to 20 person class this year. And I think they only have 12 or 13 commitments at the time. So the question is, can Clemson go out there between now and the late signing period in February and fill those last six spots with elite level players to put them back in a position to be a top 10 class? Or is this going to be the first year where they actually have to nail the portal? We're going to find out, but when we come back, possibility of another program besides the two that have held the spot being number one in the recruiting rankings at the end of National Signing Day for the first time in over a decade. We'll talk about it when we come back. Welcome back. So talking about the team that might be number one in the recruiting rankings and for the first time in in over 10 years, it might not be Alabama or Georgia. Ari, Texas A&M is in striking distance. They're, they're in the mix for a lot of guys. And I think it's interesting. You, you've got a list in, in your story that's up on The Athletic now that, that kind of gets people ready for signing day. And this is something that I've been telling people all along, and people never want to hear it because everybody's like, it, like when, when Florida was open, they're like, gotta, they got to hire a coach that's going to lock down the state. And I'm like, no, no, no. They got to hire a coach that's going to get the best players wherever they live. Because locking down the state's over. If you want to win the national title, go get the best players. Listen to the where the, the where these people are from that Texas A&M is still in the hunt for. These are all elite top 100 type players that Texas A&M is still in the hunt for. Jacoby Matthews from Ponchatoula, Louisiana. Denver Harris, he's from Houston. Okay, there you go. Uh, Cam Dewberry from Humble, Texas. It's Humble, not Humble, by the way. Uh, but but those those you guys are from Texas. Harold Perkins is from Cypress. That's suburban Houston as well. But you've got Shamar Stewart from Miami. You got Anthony Lucas from Scottsdale, Arizona. You've got uh, we we mentioned Jacoby Matthews from Louisiana. Uh, you've got Eni White from Philadelphia. Like that's none of those places are in Texas. I am completely blown away by what Jimbo Fisher is doing this year. Oh, and I, I didn't mention Walter Nolan, by the way, who's committed. They may not get him. His dad said he may not sign on, on signing day this week, uh, but he's he's in Knoxville. So is that the most, that, is that the most shocking uh, development in the history of mankind there? I, I'm like, I can't uh, tell you how yeah. blown away I am that Walter Nolan's not <laughs> signing on, uh, on early, the early sarcasm. Nights. You know, Ari, not everybody's a, a, a hardcore recruit, Nick, so I'm going to point out the sarcasm dripping from your voice. Okay, right. thank you. Yeah, he. Uh, this is the, the kid that released a top five and then visited two other programs the following weekend that weren't a part of his top five or his final five. 
So like there was a lot yeah. there was a lot happening in that recruitment and I'm excited to follow it. And you know what? It wouldn't be a recruiting season unless there was a program changing defensive lineman who uh drags it out a little bit further than people were anticipating. But that's 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 right. I, I think that the I would push back a little bit on the idea that keeping kids home is dead because I think that's the foundation of of any good recruiting class, especially a program that's got a recruital, a fertile recruiting footprint. But I agree 100% wholeheartedly that if you ever want to win a national championship, not only do you have to keep the best players home, you have to go out and get the best players from other places. And the fact that they are doing it, A&M this is, in Louisiana potentially, in Florida, and Scottsdale, Arizona, and all the places that you have to do um, in order to get these types of classes, is like the fact that they're going to do it um, or at least be in the hunt for the number one overall class uh, this year is insane. But let me let me read off the, the class breakdown for you. They've got one, uh, 14 of their 21 commitments are from the state of Texas. So like that's always going to be a thing. Evan Stewart, a five-star uh, receiver who people are wondering if he's going to flip to Texas right now. They've got the five-star quarterback, Hunter Wegman, who's from the Houston area. You know, top 60 player safety from Beaumont, Texas, which is uh, southeastern Texas. So they've done their job there, but they've also got two from the state of Washington. They've got one from Florida, one from Georgia, one from Louisiana, and one from Tennessee. And those are all very competitive states. So I think when it's all said and done, now that I look at all the players that Alabama's still alive for, Alabama's probably going to win the recruiting crown again. Um, but the fact that Texas A&M is in this position, there's nothing that can happen on signing day short of losing Walter Nolan and Evan Stewart that could cause anything to be depressed about. And like this is a the type of class that if you sign three or four of them, you're a favorite to win the national championship. So like Jimbo Fisher, I think it was fun uh, to make jokes about how much money he was making uh, beforehand uh, when things weren't going so well at A&M and how they were trapped. Now A&M was a game away from making the playoff two years ago, beat Alabama this year, and now is in a position to potentially win a national championship in the next few years. Um, I think it's easy to say that if you were an anti-Jimbo Fisher person, you were wrong. Also, well, let me say one other thing, Andy. The fact yeah. that Alabama has won the recruiting crown nine out of the last 11 years and is probably going to win it again this year, depending on what happens with A&M, is almost more bonkers absurd than how many national championships they won. Even though even though that one led to the other, I do think that like just the stat is insane to say that no other team outside of Alabama and Georgia has won the tight net, the recruiting crown since Florida did it in 2010. And it was only Georgia twice. Well, and, and when you consider the staff turnover at Alabama as well, that's, right. that's what makes it even more amazing. It's, this isn't like Clemson where most of those guys were together for forever. And now, now that's changing there, but you, you've basically for the last, if you've, Signed with Alabama in the last eight classes or so, you've you've signed knowing your position coach is going to be gone at some point. Your coordinator is going to be gone. That you are going to deal with churn, except possibly at the top with Nick Saban. And doesn't matter. Has not has not stopped them at all. I don't know if I read this stat. I read the stat last year after Alabama won the national championship. And it might be wrong, but it is at least kind of right. I don't know if it's since 2010 or whatever, or since the day that Nick Saban got hired, but no recruit that has got, has committed to Alabama and has stayed there for at least three years has not won a national championship. That's since, since he got hired. Since he got hired. No, no, it's that that's since he got hired. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it, it is 
pretty astounding. So, and if you can guarantee that, and on look, national championships are great, but what what really draws the best players? What what makes them want to come there? What makes them a self selecting sample where they can turn away four and five star guys that don't necessarily fit their scheme or culture? Is the fact that they create more first rounders than anybody else? They, yeah, they also get the best players. <laughs> So it's like that's the thing. It's like the the program chicken that egg, gets baby. the best. Chicken pl- egg. Which one is it to you, though? I think it's the chicken. Is the chicken the player? No, the eggs. The egg is the recruit. The chicken is the draft choice. I think. I you think had, it's the egg. You had to get the chicken going. They they had. If you look, so the 2008 class was Saban's first big class. I mean, it was a great class. You you can't deny that. Uh, Julio Jones, Dante Hightower, uh, Barrett Jones, who didn't have a big NFL career, but was a tremendous college player, won the Outland Trophy. Uh, that that list of players is, is pretty long of guys who contributed and, and were really good. But that was more by numbers because that was back in the over-signing days. I want to say that class had 32 players in it. They changed the signing rules and it didn't stop Nick Saban because he already had a track record of putting guys in the first round. I do miss the days of people complaining about oversigning. Well, you were covering Ohio State, so you had a you had a fertile fertile ground for that. Yeah, but that was even before my time. My first year was 09, so I think it was only like the first few years that people. My, were my favorite out is about Houston it. Nutt after signing forty two <laughs> players. Goes no rule says I can't sign eighty, <laughs> and then they immediately made a rule that says you can't sign eighty. Yes. <laughs> um, it is just bonkers, and it's just like to me. I think it's much easier to develop a draft pick when you're getting the most talented players off off out of the high school. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You get the Absolutely, best players in your but program. Okay, let's 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 talk about that last 2000 the, the last non-Alabama or Georgia one, the Florida one in 2010. That was a a tremendous class. Uh Ronald Powell, still the highest ranked recruit of all time. Higher ranked than than Trevor Lawrence even. That class had some some good players in it, some guys who wound up playing in the NFL, some guys who became first-round draft picks, but it didn't really pan out for Florida the way it was supposed to. Now, granted, Urban Meyer left, but Will Muschamp was a good defensive coach. And I mean, Ronald Powell played in the NFL. He did, but he wasn't what he was supposed to be. Like yeah, Trevor I mean, Lawrence was what he was supposed to be as a recruit. Yeah, and not everybody's going to be what they're supposed to be. Yeah. But if you I mean, go Ronald out Powell and you tore his ACL in, in college, and there were a lot if of if you but go out and add up how many top one hundred players Alabama has signed, and then compare that to how many draft picks that they've had, more draft picks that they've had than the other people. There's a direct correlation between those two things. There but aren't any programs out there that have. What, what programs though are so good at developing that they? don't sign top 100 players at all and still turn out a bunch of draft picks every year. Like it doesn't happen. You need to have the player that to yeah. make it. I'm not saying that three star and two star players don't all, turn all the Iowa fans Watt are yelling at their, their speakers yeah, well, right now. All I'm the not Iowa saying fans that, are that, yelling that Iowa doesn't develop talent or doesn't develop draft picks. Of course they do. What are they tight end you? Like I get it. Like there are players who get developed, but I also think that the way that you get attention in the recruiting process is by having the most draft picks in volume and at a, at a whiteboard yes. that you can point to and say, hey, you know, look at all these draft picks that we have. 
You don't have that whiteboard or you don't have the volume if you don't have the volume of natural talent coming in. Because I'll tell you what, Andy, in my time covering Ohio State, and I'm sure your time covering Florida and Suttles at Alabama and everybody else who covered a program like this, even the players that didn't pan out made the league. Like five-star prospects that had average careers or didn't do what they were supposed to do still played in the NFL and made money. Yeah, they'd be not they'd be knocking around like three years later on a practice squad, and you're like, oh yeah, that guy's still making that half, a still million making half a million a year. Yeah, probably worth <laughs> there you go. You know, three or three and a half million. And they and those were disappointments. Yep. And the other thing yep. too that really irks me is that the Iowa fan who's punching his steering wheel right now will say, We don't we develop players better than anybody in America. And it's like, okay. But the thought that development doesn't occur at the top end programs too also blows my mind. Like, do people Well, let me let me let me give you an example, and we can we can we can pivot here because there's a, there's a, a topic I want to discuss about this. Let's talk about the program that over the last ten years has done the least with the most, and that would be uh, your former. I don't want to talk about this. Back on this, <laughs> I'm going to. home. We have to, but it's not yeah. necessarily about what they've done wrong. We're going to talk about what happens next at Texas. Texas is is the program that you know that they get those types of recruits and have done very little with them in terms of turning them into draft picks over the last 10 years. Ari, Texas was supposed that the crown jewel of the Texas 2022 recruiting class. If we go back a year, maybe a year and I can't remember when, when the decommitment happened was Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers was supposed to be the centerpiece of the Texas 2022 class. And sure enough, after a very circuitous path that involved driving a really sweet pickup truck in Columbus <laughs> for a few months, Quinn Ewers is going to be the centerpiece of the Texas 2022 class. How about that? Yeah. God I, bless people, America. People are like, I cannot believe that, tex- that Quinn Ewers transferred from Ohio State so quickly. And it's just like he was supposed to be in this class. He's not going to be uh, in Texas's class from a ranking standpoint. But he's in Texas's class. All he did was decommit from Ohio State after making a few few shekels uh, with NIL deals, and uh, you know I think it's tremendous. I think he worked the system better than anybody's worked it so far. Have you ever been on a diet in Vegas? Like been in uh, Vegas before? Week. So like, are you dieting right now? Yeah, like counting calories and stuff. Yeah, it was are, horrible. Are the buffets in the restaurants? Uh, are the buffets open in Vegas again? No, thank God. What hotel did you stay in? I was at Aria. So there's a Javier's okay. in Aria. Okay. And if so I did love you- Javier's, I love their salsa. When they when they put that salsa and those chips in front of you, you can't not eat two baskets of chips. So I'd have to starve myself the entire day and use all my calories at Javier's. Did you did you wander over to the uh shopping area, uh the crystal shops or like the cosmopolitan area? At any point, I, I had to wander through them if I had if I wanted to leave the property. So yes, so you saw the area of the food court uh, in Cosmo that had the egg slut breakfast sandwich place and the mm-hmm. uh, Nashville hot chicken. Uh, what which correct? One is yes. It? So and you were on a diet and you probably didn't eat any of that, right? Oh, it was Hattie B's. No, I did there. Hattie you, B's. Yeah. That was that. That probably really sucked, right? Killed me. That is how I felt about taking Texas back when Quinn Ewers transferred. I'm starving. That looks really, really good. (laughs) I can't eat it, and I'm not touching it. Buddy, I am so tempted right now. This is like what a long way to go for that analogy, but I'll take it. I like it. Uh, If I've ever had to denounce Texas in 
the, the time that I did, this is like the most Texas's back time ever. And I'm very curious to see, well, and I'm, yeah. I'm happy that you brought it up. They do have a very uh, important few days coming up, and they have, for the most part, been getting smoked by A&M in their own state. But if they can, you know, get, you know, because I'm counting Quinn Ewers as part of their class, if they can land a few of these, uh, you know, like Devin Campbell's, just five-star offensive linemen to go along with Kelvin Banks. I saw him they can sign a camp. Top, He's awesome. Yeah. I mean, they've got a chance to sign a really nasty uh, offensive line class. You add Xavier Worthy into the mix. Quinn Ewers is who we think he is potentially. And you have a really nasty, nasty team. I'm the out. Nastiest. Don't get me wrong. Seven and five <laughs> team that anybody ever saw. But I am, <laughs> I am sweating the way that you sweat when you walked past Hattie B's last week. Uh, it, it was a killer. The, the one I, I couldn't keep walking past was actually out on the other side of the street, Nacho Daddy. If you've not been to Nacho Daddy, holy cow. It's 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 as trashy as you'd expect from someplace that was born in Vegas. Uh, you can get a, a, a shot of tequila with a scorpion in it. The scorpion's stinger has been removed. Uh, but the, the margaritas are comically large, and the entrees are just giant plates of gooey nachos with stuff all over them. I had filet mignon in mine. It was, it was tremendous. But that was my only meal of that day, Ari. Um, I don't know why you would ever walk across the street, but I'm happy for you. What was going on over there? <laughs> like, what, why were you over uh, there? <laughs> I, I think I had to go to Walgreens. Uh, yeah, yeah. Next to Walgreens. Well, so, Wal- Walgreens but, is uh, the best kept secret in Vegas because all the prices you can buy are, liquor there. All the liquor prices and all the food prices are the type of pr- or the same prices that you would get at a Walgreens anywhere else. Yes, they don't keep they don't price right, gouge you in there. This is the kind of information that you can only get on the Andy Staples show. Yeah, I'm a veteran. Look at my hat. So I I go quite so a bit. Listen, te- Texas has all this stuff coming in, but we've had we, we've we've seen this movie before. Do you have any faith in Steve Sarkeesian to change the end result of this? Is is Quinn Ewers that good? Is the combo of Quinn Ewers and Xavier Worthy that good? Can they put together an offensive line to put in front of them that makes them, dom- you know, B. John Robinson back for another year? Like, this should work at some point, right? Are you trying to trap me here? Yes, basically. No, I don't trust Steve or Star- Starkeesian to get it right. Texas is not back. Texas is fundamentally broken. I win! I have no idea. I mean, of course, everything on the table is such a exciting thing. Like getting a Dallas-area quarterback who's one of the highest-rated prospects of all time to come at a time where Xavier Worthy was a freshman last year, another year of Bijan, and potentially going to get the best offensive line class in the country. I mean, they are cooking right now. Everything looks great. But that's been the problem with Texas every year with me. I look at them and I think everything looks great. I say they're back and then everyone makes fun of me. So you know what? I told you what I was going to do when they lost last year and I'm doing it again. I will say Texas is back when they're actually back. I'm not going to proclaim it anymore. I love that Texas sends you you. That's true with Pitt. But I, I do love that Texas sends you into a complete existential crisis every single time. It makes me so happy. So the second happy. the second that Quinn Ewers announced he was leaving Ohio State, I knew it was going to be Texas. Of like course, it was, it, yeah. Like there was no like Texas Tech and A and M and 
But like, I actually do think that it'll be very interesting to see when they, you know, finally start playing in the SEC, the Connor Wegman versus Quinn Ewers battles uh, between A&M and Texas, the recruiting battles that are so ingrained in the identity of these two programs. And frankly speaking, Andy, Texas A&M is winning those battles right now. So I'm very curious to see the trajectory of both programs and which one will actually break through and do something remarkable first. When we come back, we got to talk raising money. Last year, I was eating chicken nuggets to help raise money for charity. This year, it's going to be uh, me eating nothing. It's the exact and Ari opposite. and I are both going to do it, and we're going to raise a bunch of money for some people in need because you guys are the best people in the world. We're going to tell you all about how you can do it when we come back. Welcome back, and it's time to talk about me losing a bet, which is something we talk about pretty often on this show. So let's dial it back to earlier in the season when Oregon lost to Stanford. Ari and I made a bet. I said, I think Oregon's going to win out, and I think the Ducks are going to make the playoff. And Ari said, nope, not going to happen. Let's put something on it. And so the stakes of the bet were I had to fast for 24 hours if Oregon didn't make the playoff. Oregon, as we know, did not make the playoff. Uh, They lost to Utah, not once, but twice. Got destroyed both times. Their coach left. He's now at Miami. Georgia's defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, he's coming to coach the Ducks now. (laughs) Ari, a lot has changed, but I still lost. But you volunteered to help out because if you remember last year, we did a contest where I swore that I could eat 100 Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets in an hour. And we said, well, okay, for every nugget I eat, you donate something to the charity of your choice. And and everybody came up with some great ideas, and, and we raised quite a bit of money. I don't know exactly how much it was. We never got a chance to total it up, but you know, got, got some money to some good causes. We decided to do it a little more organized fashion this year. So Ari, you're going to fast with me, and we're going to do this next week. So the, the episode that airs on Wednesday of next week, you will hear all about it. But we're going to do our fast between Monday and Tuesday of next week, and we record the episode in the final hour of our 24-hour fast. Before that, greatest listeners in the world who we love more than anything in the world, if you'd like to help, the charity we've chosen is Feeding America. They work with, with food banks all across the country, and for every dollar you donate, it helps create up to 10 meals for, for someone in need. And... So we're going to have a page where you can just go to that page, click to donate. Uh, I've already put one in myself. And basically, we're going to try to raise as much as we can. We we set the, the goal at $25,000. I'm pretty sure you guys can smash that. But I, I wanted to – I didn't exactly know. I've never done this before in an organized fashion. So I want to see what happens. But Ari – you ready? What what are our ground rules for the fasting here? Are we allowed, what are we allowed? Water and black coffee, or just water? How how are we handling this? I know that I kind of surprise you sometimes, and you think I'm a psychopath, but I don't drink coffee. So if you want to drink coffee, then that. you're. I don't know. I just I never took. I don't know why I never. Yeah, started. I mean black coffee. There's no caloric value to it, so it's it's up to you. So okay, let's do like water and black coffee are the two sure. things you're allowed to have. Yeah, and. 24-hour period. So I, I'm thinking like a noon-to-noon kind of thing. We'll, we'll get the, the details ironed out this week, and Ari and I will be tweeting about this and, and talking about this. We'll have uh, the URL will be in our show notes. So when you're 
looking at this podcast, you're reading about what's in this podcast, you'll have the link that you can click. We'll also put it out on social media through all of our various channels. Uh, I, I'm really excited about this. I, I hope everybody pitches in the way they did last year. It was it was really cool to see how everybody chipped in last year, and I just think you know this this is a good way to kick off the the, the holiday season coming up and. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to see what we can do. Ari, uh, how confident are you? How, how are you? How do you think you're going to be feeling those last few hours that fast? Hangry. Just don't talk about Texas. Hangry on Ari's. It, it, I yeah. want Hangry Ari on the podcast. That's that's I, what I'm excited about. I need to come up with a strategy. Like, is the strategy to gorge yourself in the morning so that you're stuffed at noon so you can make it through the night? Because I feel like if you can go to bed, if you can go to bed that night without feeling mm-hmm. terrible, then you would be able to make it to noon pretty easily the next day. Let me warn you, though. I will warn you, if you gorge, especially if you gorge on empty calories, if there's a lot of bread in your gorging, you will stop being full before you fall asleep, and your stomach will have expanded, so you'll be more hungry than you would have been. <laughs> I, I just don't I have a feeling, I feel like I have an advantage with this because I go 16 hours every day without eating and have since January of 2020. So now I, the problem is there are days when at the end of that 16 hours, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. Like I need to eat. So I, I've got a, one trick. I will say when you wake up, if you work out, as soon as you wake up, you can put off the hunger for a while because especially if you do a hard enough workout, you won't be hungry for about an hour or two after you finish that workout. And that, that probably gets you there. But I, I don't know about loading up, because usually when people load up, it's going to be on something heavy, uh, you know, something carbohydrate, pasta, Remember bread. when you ate I peanut say, butter before the chicken, chicken nugget challenge? I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's right. Peanut butter. I was trying really to the- expand my stomach a little bit. The worst thing you could eat before a food challenge, I think, would be peanut butter. Because peanut butter, I think, is what you would eat to try to hold you over for 24 hours. It well, sticks in your stomach. Yes. If it were just peanut butter, but the bread and all that, the bread was what was going to help me and the sugar and the jelly. But in this case, if you're going to eat one you know, meal before you hit that, that fast, I would say eat like a pile of chicken wings or a pile of ribs because – that will hold you for a while. It'll hold you for a good long time. And then you won't have that insulin reaction where all of a sudden you're just starving. Because if you like, if you did what, what I like, liked to do pre this, what I'm doing now, uh, where I'd go to one of, our, one of our favorites, Texas Roadhouse, and eat like 16 rolls along with a burger or a steak, You'd be starving four hours later, just starving. So can't do that. So I would suggest if you're going to do that, protein, 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 protein. Okay. Well, we'll we'll continue to to brainstorm how it goes, and then we'll we'll do it. But I'm I'm looking forward to you know participating in this, and hopefully you know can make a, a small difference for some people in the world. Yes, and if and if you want, you could do per hour. Uh, if you want to challenge us to keep going a little bit longer and you'll donate a little more, I, I'm willing to do that. Uh, we'll, we'll see how willing. It, it is, I've never tried to go that far. I think I've gone 20 hours before since I started this intermittent fasting. 
And I remember being pretty woozy at the end of 20 hours. So we'll, we'll see how it gets. It may, be, it may be a very weird podcast. Like things may get awfully weird with the two of us on our <laughs> hour 23. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to go, but just don't push me on on which ceiling is higher, Oklahoma or Texas, which, by the way, I'm very curious to see how that pans out. Uh, but you know what? We're, I think we're, we're winding this down, so I don't want to start it back up again. <laughs> Hey, that's gonna be that's gonna be fascinating. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because the Brent Venables versus Steve Sarkeesian. Like, if if I'd have told you three years ago, four well, four let's say right after Tom Her right after Tom Herman's team won the Sugar Bowl, and Sam Ellinger said Texas is back, baby, and all that. If I had told you that the Texas Oklahoma coaching matchup in 2022 would be Steve Sarkeesian versus Brent Venables. What would you have said? Oh, oh boy, something went terribly wrong at both places. I uh, I am very curious to see how this maps out because I will say this. This isn't a knock against Oklahoma's program. It's just what happened. I've never seen recruiting classes explode so violently and so quickly the way that Oklahoma's 2022 and 23 class did. I think part of the reason why is because half of the 2023 class, which was all five-star prospects, were from Southern California. So it was an easy leap for them to follow Lincoln to USC. But, buddy, they've got some work to do. And I think that that yeah. getting Venables into the fold and you know getting some of the guys to reaffirm is pretty solid stuff. And you know now next year they have a whole class they can try to build together. But that was br- like being a, an OU fan in the 48 hours after Riley left might have been, I think, the worst 48 hours of existence for any sports fan in college football outside of crazy stuff that's happened in like off the field realm. But I will say of the people they could have hired going into the SEC, and I realize that Clemson's not in the SEC, but you and I both agree Clemson is is basically an SEC school in the ACC. They compete against all SEC schools in recruiting. That's that's the region they have to deal with. Brent Venables was the kind of guy you would send after an elite prospect, and he was also the kind of guy you'd send to go make sure Isaiah Simmons checks yep. out as an under the radar star. And like, you know, you've written those stories you're pick plenty a guy, of times. That's the guy. Like you're the Clemson is the best. It's funny. And I don't know if I'm allowed to plug, but I'm going to plug right now. Bruce, Feld, Bruce Feldman and I did a story where we talked to recruiting staffers all over the country and anonymously polled them to give us their top three um, best recruiting staffers in America. And that's going to be running on Thursday, the day after the early signing period, where we rank the 10 or 15 most uh, respected recruiting staffers in America. And there was a lot of Clemson love in there because like they just yeah, have – they have you've written it you wrote it at the uh fiesta ball a few years ago right yep they just they they can they can find people they can go get the five star but they can also find the right three star for them and i i think now you don't want to become too reliant on that but but i i it's interesting i learned this this we're recording this on tuesday i learned this just today uh somebody who is dealing with a recruit told me that it it is a dabo thing that he basically tells everybody on the staff, the recruiting staffers, assistant coaches, you name it, pick your four under-the-radar people. 
when they're sophomores in high school, like look at the sophomore class in high school, pick your four under the radars that you think will continue to fly under the radar, and they're going to keep track of them the whole time. Like they're going to try to get them to a camp. They're going to, you know, that it is signing day comes and they don't have the offers they want. Maybe hit them with a preferred walk on offer that they. I've never heard of a coach doing that where they just sort of find your under the radars and keep them quiet, but, but, but follow them all. I know it's fascinating it for people to hear that stars matter, but also being able to evaluate also matters. It's like, Oh yeah. You know, 100%. just because stars matter doesn't mean that evaluation doesn't. Well, and that's the thing. Kirby smart, Nick Saban, Billy Napier, Dabo Sweeney, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, Brent Venables, Steve Herkey, all these people. They they are aware of the 24-7 rankings and the ESPN rankings and the Rivals rankings. It's not that they're not aware of them. It's that they are doing their own evaluations. And when they see a person who's a must-take, well, everybody else notices that too. 24-7 notices that. ESPN notices that. Everybody so, notices that. Yep. The, the difference is, like, Nick Saban knows who he doesn't want because it's not a scheme fit or not a culture fit. And those of us who aren't within that program don't see that. We just see, oh, this is a good player, but for some reason Alabama's not recruiting him. So that, that's the difference. And, and all of these guys are using their own evaluations. They're, they're really good at it. But sometimes that's going to overlap, and often with the best players, it will overlap. So just remember... Stars do matter, and in fact, I have a special episode of Stars Matter on National Signing Day, wrapping everything up. Ari Wasserman and Mitch Light are your stars. I believe some schmuck named Staples will be your guest. Preferred walk on, on this next episode. Preferred walk on. I, yeah. I was not. I was. A, I was what Dabo Sweeney calls a crawl on. <laughs> well, you're you're definitely preferred to be walking on to the show. I had a so. I had a preferred walk on uh, slot at Duke which I told that story on, on Twitter on Tuesday. Uh, my mom got so mad at Duke because you know, they're, they're calling, they, like they call ahead of signing day, like you got to get an application in. And it's like, oh, okay, sure, <laughs> okay. And you think that an offer is coming and it never does. And she just was so mad at them. And, and you know, they called and they said, we'd love for you to walk on. That made her furious. Like, how could you... T- tease him and string him along they weren't stringing me along they they were offering a spot on the duke football team like that's a pretty big deal and i tried and tried and tried to to get her to to stop hating duke but she never did for she she passed away 15 years ago till the day she died she did not like the duke blue devils very much and and i i i appreciate that staff reaching out i really do but i will tell you that when i walked on at florida in 1996 my mom made it a point to call me and remind me every time that Duke lost that first year. Duke went 0-11 in 1996. So uh, as usual, my mom was undefeated. So we got Stars Matter coming up. Also, a bonus edition of the Andy Staple Show wrapping up National Signing Day. We're hoping to have a few special guests. And, uh, of course, all the coaches will be talking all day. So we're going to grab some of the best of that and – We'll, uh, we'll have some fun with that. Uh, I don't know if Brian Kelly's going to dance for us. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Or we were going to have more Brian Kelly dancing with Walker Howard. But this podcast does appear on Spotify. And I believe if you even put one note of a Garth Brooks song onto Spotify, they, they will nuke you. So the, the Garth Brooks people will nuke you. So no, no call in Baton Rouge on, on, on Spotify. 
But we'll see who uh, who Brian Kelly can add to the family at LSU. <laughs> and it's going to be a fun day. Me it's, and my this family. Is, this is the big one. Yeah. Happy Stars Matter Day, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>